What's shaking? How's your day today? Welcome to the show. I'm Rick Jordan, and today we're going all in. My guest today is co-founder and CEO of The Loop Club, which is a Shopify Plus partner performance marketing agency. Anybody out there use Shopify? I bet you if you're selling a lot of stuff online, you're probably using Shopify. And the dude's also a drummer in a touring rock band, so we're going to have some fun with this conversation today. Tim Keen, welcome. How's it going? Great to meet you. It's going, uh, it's going really well, man. Going really well. I'm. Uh, let's start with the rock band. Is that cool? You're still touring yeah, right now? It. No, no, I'm not. So the band ended a couple of years ago. I mean, no one was touring during the pandemic, right? Yeah. So no matter what, it would have been done. But when I was in that band, I actually started doing marketing while I was in the band. Because I don't know if you have been in a band or any listeners have, but no matter how successful you are, you don't make any money at all. It's literally like a rigged game. <laughs> there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's literally nothing. So I was in the van being like, how am I going to figure this out? And I was like building little websites, like trying to figure out teaching myself to do things and like on my little iPad in the back of the van, like learning marketing. And then when the band, when we stopped, the band stopped playing, uh, I kind of was able to translate that experience into an agency. And then it just kind of went all went up from there. Um, Interesting. This job doesn't give me a huge amount of time to tour right now, but Hopefully it gets to that point again. Your job doesn't give you a lot of time to tour. You're talking with uh, the Loop Club, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's kind of taken uh, that's kind of taken over. Like a lot of musicians, right? A lot of aspiring musicians, you always have this gig for for you, and it's not serving at a restaurant though, which is what a lot of musicians will do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very lucky. I feel very lucky. Awesome, man. So what is the? Well, we'll come back to the band in a second here because uh, you're mm-hmm. saying that's where you started your digital marketing and everything, and. Typically speaking, I mean, if you're in a, the most that I know about band marketing, you know, is a lot of grassroots stuff. And it used to be, you know, putting posters like, like show posters up on trees, you know, or lamp posts or something like that. And it's moved to digital media now, of course. However, for aspiring Mm -hmm. bands, you know, like you, like you said, you don't make a lot of money. It used to be pretty freaking cheap, right? To print a bunch of flyers or pieces of paper, you know, at a, at a copy store or a FedEx, a Kinko's, mm-hmm. whatever, and then go nail them or tape them to something. You know, now in order to get it out there with digital media, it, it requires ad spend. So how does that cross over before it was like total grassroots and sweat labor, but what kind of <laughs> sweat labor can you do in digital marketing? Yeah. I mean, I feel very, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I'm not trying to kind of build my internet presence as a musician right now. Cause I think, like you said, it's, it seems very tiresome and very, yeah. very difficult. Um, what I have seen is, I mean, going viral on TikTok seems to be the way that that labels validate, validate music now and that bands get exposure. So there's all these TikToks with even these like relatively famous musicians and on their profile, they're like, Oh, God, I'm so tired of making TikToks, but my label is making me do another one. Like they won't let me go back on tour or release my album until I've had a viral hit, viral TikTok. Like I just have to sit here in front of my camera all day. So I think the sweat labor is less about like, I mean, I used to do that. I remember in 2012 going around and sticking up posters on, on different, different walls. But, but nowadays it's just like, it's making TikToks. It's just TikToks. Yeah, no joke. It's it's interesting. It really is interesting. I mean, those you can make go viral, you know, without any kind of ad spend, of course. Did you ever get into that world to where you had a label or a promoter that was backing you that said, hey, you have to do X amount of things in order for me to continue with you? No, we were lucky. So we were, 
you know, on the independent side of the music industry, we, I mean, we had a record label and a booking agent and a promoter and all of that stuff, but they were pretty hands off. And because it was, we, you know, on the independent side of music, you have better, you know, more egalitarian deals. You it's, it's, it's kind of like being like a bootstrapped company but versus being like a venture backed company, you know, like these pop stars are venture backed essentially. Like they need yeah, massive right smash yep. hits for anyone to make money. And we're like, you know, 50, 50 profit splits. Like we only need to play slightly smaller rooms. Like our budgets were lower, but you know, the break even is more, you know, it's easier. Like, so we didn't really do that. And I think honestly, for me, like I never really wanted, I was never really, when I was making music, I was just much more interested in making the music itself. And I think yeah. that's, it's when I do this job and when I do in this career, it's much easier for me to separate those things. Cause it's like, okay, I can figure out how to make money. I can figure out how to do things, but in music, it's a little more personal and you don't necessarily like your first instinct isn't to go and monetize it as aggressively as possible, which is yeah. What my job is now. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. So uh, what your job is now, you were a struggling musician, right? And then you went from, from what I see here, you literally Googled make money online to try to yeah. get out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Absolutely. This isn't paying the bills. What do I do? Make money online. Yeah. Tell me Google. What did you find dude? When you type that in? The f- so the first thing that I did was I would do surveys for brands. I'm sure a lot of people have done this. I would do like, you know, give us 30 minutes and we'll give you a $2.50 voucher. If you tell us what you think about like Kellogg's cornflakes. And I was just sitting there like clicking through these surveys, trying to get like three bucks deposited in my PayPal account. And I was like, look, if I'm going to be clicking all day anyway, like I need to make each click a little more valuable. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my revenue per click is pretty low here. So I was like, okay, what, what else can I learn? Um, and then I got deeper and deeper I did all kinds of stuff. I like taught my, I tried to do SEO. I tried to rank websites, try to build little WooCommerce stores. Like I really kind of just like dabbled in a lot of stuff and I got some traction eventually like drop shipping, but um, all of that is a grind and it's not a good way to actually make money. It's just a good way to learn the principles of, of this industry. You're really getting the real talk on this right now as far as making money online. And I appreciate that because dude, I mean, I scroll through my feed on Instagram all the time. And I see all that, like you mentioned drop shipping, right? There's people that yeah. come up with like, hey, build this multi-million dollar drop shipping business. Yeah, you know, and th- this is, by the way, join my coaching program to do that, you know, because I'm doing it. But yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of effort that has to go into that in order to build that. It's oh, not yeah. something that's overnight. It's not something that goes without its, its grind, as you say. You, know, d- you oh, said yeah. you got and, some and traction. Just, yeah. What's some traction to you? Uh, we did like, you know, 5k a month in, in revenue or something like that. Yeah. yeah you're talking like, $60,000 a year. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And that's all, that's all gone. You know, that's gone. It's like, that's the thing about these businesses is they're like paper. Like even if you are, you know, just say you're doing a million dollars a year in dropshipping revenue, you're at 20% net margins when it shakes out. So you're doing, you know, 200 K maybe net, but you've made, you know, how you got to pay for all your mistakes. You know, pay for every mistake that you make on the way to yeah. getting there. And that is definitely costing you all that money. Like it's going to zero. Plus on the other hand, like your business is, you're being a middleman. Your business has been a middleman. So you're dealing with customer service. You're dealing with, you know, people and the value that you add is not, it's just branding and marketing. And eventually people realize that there's a discrepancy between the quality of the product and the, the branding. And then they're just like, okay, so, you know, you can make some money quickly if you're good. And I think people are on TikTok now, they're like really running up the score with that stuff. I'm definitely seeing a few people being like, oh wow, okay, you got this. But um, it's not a lasting, it's one tactic 
for learning a number of ways of doing this, of working in this industry, but it's not a, a sustainable career. Um, and yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people are selling high ticket courses on how to get from one level to another level. And some of the, you know, some of them will, will give you the information that you need and some of them won't necessarily, but like, it's not information. Information doesn't really help you with this. It's just doing it and messing it up a lot. Yeah, for sure. Well, how did you transition? How did you break through? Cause you tried all these things, right? And then yeah. where was your tipping point? I would say the, the real breakthrough for me, and this is what I would recommend to anyone who's trying to do this is I went, I, I went to work for an agency. So I was doing, I was freelancing, you know, I was, I was on Upwork. I was just like building websites, doing all this different stuff. And I just like, was like, okay, I'm just going to go into an agency and see if I can get this job. I never had a full-time yeah. job in my life. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, do it. I'll just see, it'll be funny. And I realized that that experience of like trying to do it for yourself is actually more valuable than you realize because a lot of people haven't done that. So when you come into an agency, like you don't know any of the rules about what you're meant to do and what you're not meant to do. And so it's kind of a superpower because you will just do whatever you need to do. And you have experience like learning very, very, very quickly, uh, like ingesting information and then executing on that information in, in no time. And so that was where I was like, oh my God, like I actually do know how to do this. And I was able to scale a couple of brands. I didn't even really realize at the time, like how significant it was, but you know, scaled a couple of clients, you know, to, to a good million dollars a month in revenue, like in nine yeah. months of being there. And it's just like, once you know how to do it, like, you know how to do it. You know, <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> you're, so, you're starting to talk about e-commerce as like riding a bike. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's a- yeah. Well, so, yeah, exactly. It is. It is. I, I was actually just talking about this. The, the way that I describe this, these jobs and marketing in general is it feels very hard until you know how to do it. And yeah. once you know how to do it, it's a literally a list of instructions in a Google doc. And so the, the gap is like, okay, how do you learn those things? How do you understand when to apply any given tactic? And then the subtleties of each step of the instructions, like, okay, you learn capture leads, like, how do you successfully execute each step? But like the hardest part is gathering all that information and putting it together. And that's why high ticket course sellers are you know, successful because yeah. that information would take you a bunch of time to gather on your own. And that time is valuable. That's what high ticket courses are. It's really just the curation yeah. of information. You know, and exactly. it, it saves you. This is a, for anybody, I've never actually spoken about it in this way. And I appreciate you going here in the conversation today because it, those courts, it's like, oh, I'm going to pay five grand, $10,000, whatever it is for this high ticket course. And it's always information that you can find out on your own in these high ticket courses. It will just take you a long time than just clicking on the, on the site and putting in your credit card information. Then there it is right for you. It's a curation of information and that is valuable, dude. It's incredibly valuable. And I mean, I still pay for that. I still pay for curated information all the time. I'm in, you know, I have three of my team in a Slack group that I pay a thousand dollars a month for. I have like, yeah. you know, courses that I'll buy all the time. And everyone is everyone in this space who is serious is trading, trading money to save learning time all the time. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. So now you've got all this information, right? And you've done it and everything, you know, you're a Shopify mm-hmm. plus partner. There has to be some kind of threshold or performance in order to achieve that status. Yeah. The plus partner thing was a really big win for us. So Shopify plus is obviously the, you know, where the, the, 
the merchants who are most serious on Shopify are. I would say what, how, how we got there really was through our relationships in the ecosystem. Like we take Shopify, as everyone knows, is it's not just one app. It's a collection of, of you need to plug in a bunch of other stuff in order to run your store. So when you install Shopify, you still need, you know, Klaviyo for email marketing and Akendo for reviews and like something for rewards and like all these other systems that you need to build around it. And I've always been of the opinion, a lot of media managers, a lot of media buyers don't know their don't know that platform. Yeah, they yeah. have spent their whole career just working in Facebook all day um, and just like you know doing the numbers. But I started because I didn't know. No one told me that I wasn't meant to do that. Like when I was growing, I spent a lot of time in Shopify and really learned the systems and really learned the apps and the plugins that couldn't like help a store very quickly. And so when I started running this agency, that was always just an easy part of the service offering is to add as a value add. So, you know, I would tell clients, you know, what apps to use and what apps not to use and how to set up their funnels and how to set up their tracking and like all of that stuff. And there aren't that many marketing partners who can give you what is kind of technically development help, but like it lives in this middle ground between marketing and development. I think that was exciting to, to the plus team. Um, and then I would say the second thing that they were excited about was that we are, early to TikTok and that we built our business during the pandemic. I mean, I'm sure you know almost everything about performance marketing has changed in the last two years since, you know, iOS 14, the pandemic, you know, uh, the way that ad platforms work, the way that e-commerce works is completely different now. And so these younger agencies have a totally different playbook from the older agencies and achieve results like with different techniques. And so they were definitely looking for agencies who are playing, you know, in the new school. Yeah, no kidding. But you, when did you start this, the Loop Club? Because you're talking about uh-huh. there is a lot that's changed last two years. Did you start before or during? No, we started this in, um, we, my first freelance client was April 2020. Um, you were right at the so beginning of all the changes years. then. Yeah, with, with yeah, iOS 14 yeah. and with the pandemic like well, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah exactly. You did. IOS was, what, this is I, good, dude. IOS came into a, you didn't have any oh, yeah, old bad habits. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's actually been a huge thing for us. So yeah, iOS came into effect April 2021. I was writing about iOS 14 in January 2021, back when no one was even thinking about it. 2020 was an interesting year. It was very easy to succeed in e-commerce, but the main problem was supply chain and inventory and all of that. And, and, um, customer lifetime value, like people weren't coming back. Um, so we've been, we've seen a lot of stuff and exactly to your point, these bad habits are very hard to unlearn to the extent that like, if I am interviewing someone and they've been in this industry for, you know, five or more years, I have to really drill in. I have to be like, okay, like, have you been working in the last two years? What has changed about your approach? Because if they are, attached to the old methods of working, if they talk about strategies they used to use five years ago, eight years ago, it's very likely that they won't be able to deliver results and that they won't know why. Well, that's the key, right? Because most marketing agencies, yeah. and this is the difference between traditional digital marketing and performance marketing. You know, and yeah. it, this is such a new world. And I've been saying this you know, for years now, even before iOS 14, it's like, why the hell isn't there a marketing agency out there that will just say what they're going to do? And then that's their metric. Right. If they actually achieve the results, then they get paid, you know, rather than Mm -hmm. just saying we're going to give you so many impressions, you know, we're going to give you so many click throughs and everything. It's like, that doesn't matter. If I don't make a sale, what does all the freaking impressions matter in the first place? Exactly. 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 And I think I was very lucky to work at Mid6 when I did it. It was 
it was, they were really at the forefront of performance marketing on Facebook and especially in the, you know, in the 2015, 2018 era, they really were very, very good at it. And the best, the best people there are some of the best people in the space for sure. And that's the focus. It's like, you know, nothing else matters except for driving revenue. Absolutely nothing else matters. And when you can actually focus like that, it informs every single action that you take. And yeah, you end up just saying what you're going to do and then going to do it. And if you don't do it, you're just like, oh, we didn't do it. Here's why. Um, and then you try to figure out another way around. Yeah. None of, those, none of those other metrics really matter. No one cares how many impressions. At the end of the day, you can't bank impressions. Exactly. Yep. Or how many yeah. video plays or, you know, if they watch all the way yeah. through the video, you know, when the drop-off point is. Sure, yeah. I think those are levers to help you reach your end goal. But it's a, that's not yeah. something to base success off of a campaign. I got in a fight yesterday on Twitter because someone asked the controversial <laughs> that's the question. That's the best line, by the way. I just got in a fight on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I got in a fight because someone asked, someone was trying to stir the pot and they asked yeah. a question which they knew would incite controversy. And the, the question was like, just say you write an ad, you post an ad and it starts doing really well. And that yeah. ad has a typo in it. And the ty- it turns out that the typo is getting people to pay attention because it looks like a little wonky. Yes. And the question was like, do yep. you turn it off or not? And immediately I was like, unless your whole job, unless your performance and your business's performance is measured on how many words we wrote accurately in an ad, like scale that forever, like to the moon. Like there's no circumstance where you would want to change that. And someone was like, well, you know, you need to calculate the predicted, you know, goodwill loss of having a typo. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to do that. No one is it performing? Anyway. Is it getting me my results? Does it work? Exactly. Does it work? Oh, look over and here. This perfectly spelled and, and grammatically correct piece of shit isn't getting any kind yeah. of sales whatsoever. Yeah. And I think for me, what, why, I'm, why I feel this way is because I used to be a musician. And is, as a musician, you are constantly negotiating the distinction between your art project and your business, because you start doing it as an art project that is, you know, aesthetically important to you and you want it to look the right way and you want it to feel like yeah. you. And then eventually, unfortunately, you start running the business because you have to manage, you know, you're on tour all the time. Like you're trying to make a living off it. you're doing all this stuff. And in this job, this is not an art project for me. Like this is a business. <laughs> so I don't care what it looks like. I just care that it works. And I think a lot of business owners and brand marketers, uh, come at it from the perspective of it being an art project that they're emotionally attached to it being a certain way. They have a feeling about something, but if you just follow what's working, yeah. you can, you can keep following what's working forever. You know? Yep. You got it, dude. I, I appreciate yeah. your perspective on this so much. You know, it's something that I've been saying when I started building my personal brand five years ago. Now that was one of the things I'm like, what, what's wrong, what's wrong with all these agencies, you know? Cause they're saying, Oh, we're delivering yeah. all these things. I'm like, but, but it's not doing for me what I actually need. Yeah, so the, yeah. the performance side is, I'm so happy that things are going that way, just in a, as an industry as a whole. And you're going to start to see some yeah. of these behemoths shift eventually because dudes like you and Loop Club are going to start taking over the world. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's it, going to be interesting. Sorry, sorry. Good. No, you're good, man. I'm just getting excited. That's all. No, <laughs> uh, well, obviously, yeah. performance-based marketing is not only around Shopify. Right. Do you have other areas that you dive into too, or is that just the niche you focus on? So we have a number of clients who aren't on Shopify. For the most part, they're bigger than Shopify. They, you know, they're, you know, enterprise 
enterprise platforms that built their own front end, you know, they're doing, you know, they're doing a whole other thing. I'm more than happy to work on those businesses. It's a great time for me. I, you know, I love, I love working on big businesses that have, you know, dedicated headless stores, you know, they, they load fast, they like are responsive, they do all these things. But for the average mid-market business, Shopify Plus is like, you know, it's a great solution. It's, it's ideal. And we have so much um, platform knowledge and so much ecosystem knowledge that it just makes it easy for us to, to win those deals um, all the time. But I would say more than that niche, like we, we have started focusing on specific verticals even within e-commerce like you know we have a number of health and wellness and sports and outdoor brands we know we can do a good job with them the number of pet brands we know we can do a good job with them we have a number of um you know kids and baby product brands we you know all of these verticals we have experience in and then once you get experience in a vertical it's like okay well i know all of the content creators to call up i know all the copy that works like i know like all the angles to use i know like you, you start to know the language of the vertical and that's platform agnostic. Like I don't care if you're on Shopify because yeah, I know yeah. how to sell supplement anywhere. Yeah. I love that, man. And you try to fight as you go through business too. This is something that I learned too. running, running businesses is that you tend to start out not very verticalized, but then it just mm-hmm. start, you end up gravitating towards things that you learn and whatever you settle on. And it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't think many people go into if it's an e-commerce business thinking, you know what? My vertical is going to be pets, you know, or pet products yeah. or whatever it is, you yeah. know, or like me, like my vertical is going to be law firms. You know, that, that's not, uh, that's not how you go into it. You go into it, especially yeah. like going from a rock band, right? <laughs> needing, to, yeah. needing to make some money or just broke, you know, with, with two newborn twins yeah. be like, I just need to put food on the table. I need yeah. to make sure that I have a roof over my head. So whatever money's going to come my way, that's good for me right now. And that's an okay place to start. As long as you have some sort of, you start to identify the signs along the way and say, you know what, I'm starting to become pretty adept at this niche over here. I think this is something I can yeah. focus. And there is that shifting point to, to where you start to let all the others fade away. And then you start to exactly. focus on what you're really, really good at when you find what you're really, really good at. Exactly. And because, because you can charge high prices that way, because yeah. you are a specialist in that domain, you can be more certain that you can get results in yeah. that area. Someone actually, there was a really good tweet the other day that I really appreciated, which was someone was talking about, um, a, there's like a left-handed stuff store online. I'm left-handed. I've never bought anything <laughs> from a left-handed stuff store, but they were like, think it's about your the people. stuff store. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know the name of the store, but like, think about it because they only sell stuff for right-handed for left-handed people. What's the percentage and of left-handers in the world? I can't remember. I knew it at I one point. I think it's like 10%. Yeah, it's, um, it's low. I know that. Yeah, something like lefties. Lefties, the left-handed store. Everything's the left-hander. So if yep. you think about this store, like everyone else, you know, if you go to if you go to a normal store, you're going to buy a pair of right-handed scissors. Like inevitably, they don't even have to say right-handed scissors. But yeah, yeah. this store, by niching down, by only servicing left-handers, even though it sounds like they're giving up ninety percent of the market, right? They can charge higher, higher. They can have a higher price point. They have more specialized knowledge. They have a moat around them because someone else would have to, you know, start a left-handed store. They can uh, specific write messaging that is yeah. very, very specifically targeted to their audience, and they can gather up instead of trying to get two percent of all of the right-handed scissors sales in the world. They can try to get fifty percent of all the left-handed scissors in the world and make so much more money, 
So I think it's such a perfect example of why niching works. I was just really, I really enjoyed that tweet. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I love your perspective on this stuff. Now you've got, there's a stat that I have. I'm curious because it, then we can, uh, this is something people need to hear because I think we've covered the journey pretty well. I appreciate you mm -hmm. being very real and human today about a lot of this too, because there's so much mm -hmm. out there about marketing and, and e-commerce and the, it's just a, a whole bunch of hype. I feel that yeah. there's a lot of hype. This is the real yeah. deal, man. You are the real yeah. deal, Tim. I appreciate you. So 90% of your clients have increased their revenue by at least a hundred percent, right? Which means 90% of your clients have doubled their revenue. Yeah. If I, if I read I think that, that I, yeah, I think it probably in the last year that isn't as true anymore, but certainly in 2021, we were just, we were just really you know, running up the score. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what attributed um, to that, man? What, what happened to where they're like, Oh my God, Tim's a God. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a few things that we do that are pretty fundamental. So most of our clients come to us looking to grow fast, right? So you, you already come in with the mindset you already come in with the inventory and the preparation and the product market fit. And then you come in, but what you're missing most of the time are the things that get lost in a bigger agency or a freelancer or people aren't thinking about it. And they're really fundamental. They're really simple. Like most of the time you're creative what you're running on as, as an ad is not as engaging as it should be, or it's not as clear as it should be, or it doesn't sell the product well, or it's not, you know, employing like methods of getting people to pay attention. It's not psychologically interesting. That's you're normally the first thing. So you fix that, decrease the cost per click, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're playing you know, an easier game. You've just made your game easier. Then the second piece that's usually bad is the landing page, like the way you send that traffic to. So most of the time, if it's been written by a brand, I mean, I do this. When I write my own landing pages, they become confused. They become jargony. They become, you know, as if someone already knows about the space because I don't, I do it all day. I live and breathe this stuff. So like, if you were trying to explain it to someone who hadn't done it before, you'd probably do a bad job. So the second thing is, you know, readjusting the landing pages and the site experience to make it easier for someone to purchase. And then the third thing is getting over those old habits. A lot of the time, a lot of the time I'm looking in accounts in paid media accounts every week that are spending well over a hundred thousand dollars a month that are very, very poorly optimized. And by that, I mean, being run as if it's still 2015, some media buyer who hasn't like been on the internet since 2015, apparently who wow. like just everything looks really bad. Like a lot of wasted spend, a lot of, you know, not even best practice. It's just not even like, not even how it should be, not thoughtful. And so there is usually, you know, 20 to 30% efficiency on the table in any given account. So you grab that, make the creative better, make the landing page better, you know, fix the offer a little bit, and then you can move really fast. Like that's everything. There's nothing else to it. And I think the reason why we're able to do that effectively is because a lot of media buyers just don't think that way. They just open a Facebook ad account or a Google ad account and they just click around in it all day. And they assume that the answer is somewhere in the data or somewhere in like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll find some sort of technical solution to this problem. And the problem has no, not nothing, almost nothing to do with technology, almost nothing. It's, you know, it's about how well your message is resonating with people and how easy it is for them to make a purchase once that message resonates. That's beautiful, man. I, you, you're inspiring me today because this is great. I know you're going to keep crushing it, brother. Um, looks like we can connect with you on LinkedIn. Tim Keen, right? Where can we go to find yeah. Loop Club? What's the address of that? Yeah. Uh, that's www.loop.club. Beautiful, brother. It, 
I'm impressed, man. I, I mean, you're going to keep crushing it. You know, it's great that you found <laughs> such success in such a short amount of time, too. I think the pandemic was also just a huge, like, blessing for you <laughs> because you started yeah. right then and there, man. That's It's amazing. Keep going, dude. Keep crushing it. And I want to introduce you to a couple people, too, that I think you could probably help. So, brother, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. 